Hello and welcome to Why the Last Podcast, a podcast about why The Last Man, critically acclaimed comic series by Brian K. Vaughn and Pia Guerra. Introducing our hosts, Mike Nichols and Grim. Hey, how you doing, Jackie? Hi. <laughs> so you are relatively new to the series, correct? I am. Yeah, so uh, sum up like what, what you know about the series, because I kind of wanted someone from the outside to to see what they thought about it and the discourse around it. Before my initial research today, all I knew was what I saw briefly in entertainment headlines, which was over the last few years, um, there have been several attempts to make this into either a movie or a series, and they just kept crashing and dying. And that's all I knew. I had not read any of the comics i have no experience with it so i am entirely fresh carte blanche i like that perspective now um mike can you tell us how you got into why the last man sure uh hello everyone i'm mike um and i got into it i was a baby when i got into it i was in high school like middle school high school because the book came out i believe it it came out in 2002 and it ran to 2005. It was over a few years. And 2008. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm sorry. Well, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad one of us did research. <laughs> I'm an expert now. <laughs> Big post 9-11 vibes. Yes. No, absolutely. Um, that's, that's a really good uh, comparison. I didn't think about that, Grim. But yeah, that's absolutely true. Um. But I got into it in high school and I basically read it at a Barnes and Noble. Um, I would go to Barnes and Noble and get like a tea and just sit down and just read books because they don't kick you out for doing that. Um, it's like a library. Bless them. That's beautiful. <laughs> so um, how about you, Grim? How did you discover the series? I was actually late to it. Um, I take a uh, vacation to uh, the Texas coast most years uh, for, you know, three, four days. And um, one of my favorite things to do is to read on the beach. Um, And it's always going to be something kind of fun. And about six, seven years ago, um, the year beforehand, I had read fables, like beginning to end while I was, you know, at the beach. And uh, I decided uh, once again to do another comic series. And I did Why the Last Man Beginning to End. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I was then like, why is this not a series or a movie? I would have assumed so. And then I you know, discovered what everyone now knows. It's just been in development hell. It sounds like for FX, this was a passion project, right? This, this culminated over a, a number of years where um, it kept getting put down and picked back up again. Is that right? Yeah, that's what everyone keeps saying. And it sure has to be because they, they hired a bunch of big names for it. Just between Diane Lane, who's probably not going to be in there super long, but she's she's there, and Olivia Thurlby from Juno and Dread is one of the main characters. So, I'm excited to see Diane Lane because I think she's going to bring a very Elizabeth Warren attitude oh, totally. to this character, which is going to be interesting from what I know about Representative Brown so far. It's going to be good. So, Mike, I'm picturing you as like a teenage Mike, a little teenage Mike, in Barnes and Nobles, um, just devouring this comic series. Uh, did you did you just like 
burn through the whole thing in one sitting? Like, did they have to kick you out at the end of the night so they could mop up? Like, what was that? How did that go? So I started reading it before the series had actually ended. Um, Oh. For listeners who don't know, you know, it it was a single issue comic and it got collected in the trade paperbacks um, as it went forward. So I got into it and basically just over a period of, it probably took a couple of years because I got into it a little bit later in the comics run. So I had to wait. Um, but I devoured as much as I could each time. Nice. Those are the best kind of reads too, because you find yourself craving to jump back into that world and into that story too. Now, um, did you find yourself empathizing with the character Yorick as you were going through it? Did you, did you ever imagine what it would be like if you were the last man? Um, I certainly did. I mean, uh, uh, you know, being a cisgender man, yes, you know, you immediately, um, but also like the character is so well written too, that I think, um, I think anyone could sort of empathize with the character. But uh, for me, I mean, Yorick is like in his early twenties when the story starts, you know, when this plague hits and kills every cisgender um, man or anyone with the Y chromosome really is the way it was written. Um, so I think, I think the, uh, he's a baby, you know, so I, I kind of related to that. He's older than me or I, he was older than me when I started reading it, but he's very naive. He's immature. So I definitely felt like I grew up with the character and yeah, it, it opened my eyes for a lot of things too, or things I, I kind of knew, but didn't fully, um, understand until like the book really solidified that. That is so cool. Those kind of characters really stick with you too. Though you weren't quite in such a formative age as Mike was when you experienced the comics, Grim. Um, but what what kind of a uh, what kind of experience did you have going through these books in the post nine eleven world? <laughs> yeah, I definitely because uh, uh, I got the benefit of hindsight, and I had the whole thing beginning to end, which I very legally purchased and did not torrent. <laughs> 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 and I. Uh, I had a. I was reading it on like a big kit. Like I had one of those uh, color Kindles, the ones that uh, it's basically just a cheap iPad. Nice. Um, and that's how I was reading it, and uh, it was uh, it was good. And I I enjoyed that it was a full arc, and that it was pretty much the same pace throughout for the characterization for Yorick. I appreciated how much thought was put into things. For example, uh, examining, and uh, I love that the discourse is called the sexist, and it's amazing because it's all it's all there's not enough women in STEM, and then you're like, well, what if every man died like from a plague, and it just specifically targeted anyone with a Y chromosome? Like, what what about the gender disparities in these professions? And uh, they actually took that head on as like a major plot point, and you have both like you know. 20th century gains getting lost in this new world, but also like way more uh, compassion and way like better governance at the end of it. Like effectively, even though it's not, it's not all kumbaya, it's definitely like factional and there's definitely warring the ability to view people and uh, to be a little less focused on masculinity uh, even though hierarchies are still maintained in some ways, was was interesting to me. They take on some very, uh, very interesting topics throughout this series. I mean, in, in just the first episode, 
that I went over in detail. You've got a, a massive plague, the IDF, this culpa ring, U.S. Congress, uh, a covert bioterror plot. Like this is a very wide ranging um, series. And within just the first few page, you're, inter you're introduced to so many different characters. It's a little overwhelming for a newcomer. But yes, we encourage all listeners to, of course, um, legally purchase or not the comics so they can read along and enjoy this with us. So, yeah. The irony is I bought the massive, they came out with a compendium for it like last year. And it was some, it was the kind of absurd price you would expect for an entire series bound as one volume. Oh yeah. And I paid for it. It was my birthday present to myself. So. Aw. Yeah. Fun times. Did you ever end up picking up a, a full copy for yourself, Mike? So I've had like, um, I had like a bunch of trade paperbacks of it. And I've, um, in an interview, Brian K. Vaughn talked about how like people in relationships tend to buy the volumes to give to like people or like family members or friends. So I've oh. done that. I, I've owned like complete sets that I've given to other people I wanted, whom I wanted to read the book. And I own a digital copy of the entire series now that I read. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that was funny. It's like they probably have gotten multiple people to buy multiple copies or one person to buy like multiple copies just through that. That's a good judge of, of a, a very good series or a good book that you love. Have you lent it out? Has it had several different hands possessing it because you loved it so much you had to share it? That's a beautiful thing. Hell yeah. One thing I thought was really interesting about the comic, so just to create um, a little bit more of a picture for viewers who don't know or listeners, um, it was basically released by Vertigo Comics, and Vertigo Comics was a sort of a side imprint uh, by DC Comics, and it was basically meant to be an adults-only uh, publishing label that kind of just did things differently. You know, it wasn't usually superhero stories. If there were, they were like darker and with like less less known characters. So for its time, Vertigo was like really changing things. Um, there wasn't really anything else like it at the time. There wasn't. I was a huge comic fan as I was growing up. And I was very much in the deep in Marvel. And I liked some DC stuff. But that was pretty much all you had experience with pre-Vertigo if you went to a comic book store. Um, you know, getting excited about Carnage or whatever, you know, like, that's, <laughs> oh, look, there's a new Venom. You know, so it's it definitely changed the way people perceive comics, and it's definitely responsible for things that came after it, like The Walking Dead. And even The Walking Dead, I don't believe is Vertigo. Um, it just it showed that there was a market for it. People love talking about the apocalypse for some reason, maybe because it seems like something that couldn't happen. So it's fun to imagine awful things happening. But um, well, this is I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. No, my. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, people love talking about the apocalypse. They just uh, love to imagine everyone in the world dying. Well, it's like, for me, one thing that's really interesting is that there's actually a gap on that. People in the 90s really like talking about it. And then once 9-11 happened, it was like, a no, we can't, we can't do that. And I don't know if you guys remember, there's a show, uh, Dark Angel, I think. Uh, James Cameron yes. made it, Jessica Alba. Yes. Um, I was definitely watching that for the intense plot and not for Jessica Alba. <laughs> well, of course, right? Of course, 
but the uh the main plot line is literally like the u.s gets a whole bunch of emps and most of the world like gets there's a there's a big ass like emp war and the u.s becomes a developing country overnight and um it's a lot of dealing with the fallout from that and that sounds amazing it it was fantastic but then it's it aired like a week before 9-11 so when 9-11 happens for the second season they're like yeah you gotta get rid of the whole post-apocalyptic thing and literally the second season it's like never mentioned it just like did not happen it just like is oh things are kind of dirty now instead of like full-on post-apocalyptic but like yeah it was uh, and then they introduced like a lion man for some reason that didn't make any sense so they're like well our show is ruined so we'll just go fucking crazy pretty much (laughs) um with um with the 9-11 topic i something i think is interesting to bring up is that the writer brian k vaughn he uh he grew up, I think he grew up in New York, or at least he was there for part of his life because he went to NYU. And he has talked about how like 9-11 definitely had an impact on him. Um, Because I think he was there at the time or on his way out of like going like going somewhere else um, in his life. But when you read the first issue of Why the Last Man, over the first issue is when the, like, the plague hits, but it's like a bunch of people... Like Jackie said, there's a bunch of characters. They're all kind of going about their day. And we sort of cut back and forth between all of them. And then we see the plague happen and we see their responses to it. And it feels a lot like, you know, like so like in a 9-11 event. Like, oh, everyone's going to remember what they were doing when it happened. Because it's like it changed everything. Um, so I, I don't know. I just think it's interesting to like look at it from that lens. Yeah, it's definitely interesting from that lens. And it's it's also kind of uh, Werner had a really good episode covering like total fatalities in countries when they go to war. And like the worst on record is like 20 percent where 20 percent of an entire country was killed. Wow. And uh, it was it's in South America. I want to say it's Belize. Um, but it's just like the idea of 50 percent of people gone in an instant. Like it doesn't even matter with the gender job stuff. It's definitely, um, it's already going to be a catastrophe on so many different fronts when you have that kind yeah. of change. Middle of a work day. I mean, just like we have so many truck drivers and like people who ship things with trucks and planes. Like imagine if that just, those just all started crashing and just immediately stopped. Right. Besides just the loss of losing husbands and sons and fathers and grandparents. But I mean- shipments of food not making it to grocery stores there would be hunger there would be need and and oh it would be a massacre it would be crazy yeah it would be completely wild uh when the black death happened it actually like it kept coming back every every year or two for decades i mean it was like over a hundred years before it was done people always think of it as like one wash through from the initial wash through but it actually like just kept occurring and it completely changed the way that law functions in Europe because you had all these lands unworked, unclaimed, and you had merchants who needed things done. You had royalty who didn't know who was where and who was still alive. Like the, both the church and the state had to figure out brand new rules and laws for everything because of these kind of disruptions. And it's, it's interesting thinking about it on a larger scale, you know? Yeah. 
as Americans, we can't really see much past, you know, 9-11. But I wonder if um, older Americans who experienced the hardships during World War II might, you know, have more to draw from on that. Since there was that disruption in these new rules, all the men shipped off overseas, all their sons and fathers are gone, and the women were left to hold society up the best that they could. Yeah, it, all the Great Depression stuff on on uh, World War II is super interesting in that regard and how many different social mores had to change, um, especially for were white women specifically, because for everyone, every other woman, they were already working. They were definitely working right. before the Depression. For uh, sure. It was kind of a white woman thing to not work. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and by not work, I mean not work for a wage. They were still working. <laughs> right, right. Uh, right. But... The domestic idea, labor is labor yes exactly uh but they definitely did um the culture did change and that is there's a reason you see a whole bunch of professional class women popping up in the 60s who like were you know there was not that kind of demand or even like push prior and it's because of the memory of of all these entry points you know but the soviets were still doing better on that front just saying just just putting that out there. Soviet sending their first woman into space when the uh, first woman America would send into space was like 15 years old. <laughs> so I want to talk about this main character who's going to be um, our guide, our guide as we go through this here. Um, his name is Yorick Brown. He is an English major, an escape artist, a broke magician, with a penchant for sarcasm. Um, in the first series, we are introduced quickly to his girlfriend, Beth, who's on some sort of Aussie adventure. What is she doing in Australia again? She's doing like a walkabout or something, right? It's like an, in, is it like an internship or something? Yeah, like It's like a like, summer internship. It was internship. professional, yeah. It was like um, archaeological walkabout or something. Yeah, it was, yeah, you know what? You're right, Grim. It was something like that. And his mother, who is a representative um, for Ohio, Miss Jennifer Brown, um, and his monkey ampersand. Now, the monkey gets kind of a, a, a brief explanation in this first episode where they talk about how he was going to be trained to help special needs people. And then your quips that he didn't think this monkey would be doing any good for anyone else and in that scene he's literally throwing shit at him and that's how we're introduced to the monkey uh ampersand um now is ampersand is that supposed to be a reference to him being an english major because that's something english majors would name a monkey is that that what that is that was always my assumption yeah (laughs) um york is like very um he's very well read and i think that's honestly just because like I think Vaughn has a bit of, you know, he has a writing background. So I think that was probably um, where that came from. And yeah, it's funny because uh, Ampersand's one thing. Then his name is Yorick, which is a, you know, Shakespeare character. But I think the way it was written is that his dad is like an English professor or a drama professor. Right. His dad was like a tier one school English professor. And he's kind of like, he went to like a shitty school. If I remember, like he basically didn't live up to his father's expectations. Oh, I see. Which is already, yeah. 
Yeah. It's also Yorick's masculinity is very tied to like how smart he is. So anytime he gets called out on being dumb, it like hits him in a way. Even when he's the last man, it hits him in a way that other people aren't going to get hit. Uh, he he has one where he like is yelling at his sister and he's like he's very mad at her i can't remember why but as he's yelling at her he says like you've crossed the rubicon and she's like you literally don't even know what that refers to (laughs) because she was the smarter sibling i um i know the scene that you're talking about and i know why he's mad at her um but yeah yeah it's (laughs) hero and the thing about hero that is so his sister's name is hero which is another shakespeare reference um hero was actually going to pursue english and she dropped out to become an emt and the character i believe your quotes her as saying that she did it because she felt like she could do more good for people that way and so york actually looks up to her like he thinks of her as a hero like literally a hero yeah it's it's i see i thought she was named after hero yui of the gundam wing series Easy mistake to make. Yep. His uh, Yorick's dad is like a big anime fan and a Shakespeare yep. fan. He's like a giant weeb who's trying to <laughs> slip in references during his English classes. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, Hero's my favorite character so far just because my only introduction to her is that she's banging every firefighter in this particular station and her co-workers are salty at her because all she does is bang firefighters when they're getting calls. So she's my favorite so far. I say get it queen. It is funny how raw <laughs> of a deal she gets just in a premise sense, because the last man on earth is literally her brother. So yeah. it's like, well, I guess I'm just done on that front. Like, <laughs> God, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. All the men are dead. Yeah, that's brutal. Although they do, they do a weird thing in the comic where they get woke and mention that like trans men are not dead, but they also kind of uh, they first off they use the slur a lot, uh, at least two or three times I remember. Um, well, there's a sect of people that are uh, against the Amazons. I believe are not cool with anything masculine whether it's trans mask or cis like they dislike it right they're like the the people who worked the warren campaign in 2020 they just yeah. exactly. they're getting like weird nazi <laughs> tattoos on the side of their head and like you know tattooing <laughs> auschwitz numbers into their auschwitz hex code into their wrist it, <laughs> it should be so yeah it in an interview, like with Brian K. Vaughn, uh, somebody asked him about like that, and Brian was like, "Well, I wrote the series back in like, you know, the the early to mid, you know, two thousands, and you know, he said like, if I wrote it today, it would be more woke, right, um, right. So like, obvious, and this, and we will get to this, but the series actually does address this by, uh, I think, being more, um, I think, being more nuanced about how it approaches gender." Right. Um, it sort of understands that gender and sex are two separate things, whereas the comic doesn't quite get there. I don't think it's trying to do anything mean, but it it, it is a little problematic and unintentionally. Oh yeah, definitely harmful. unintentionally. Yeah. But it does have like similar themes that I do enjoy in terms of like trans men are still getting like a raw deal in this new world. Like they are immediately exploited and oppressed and like hunted. So it, it definitely like continues the oppression that society has. It's just also, it's got other issues happening at the same time while acknowledging the, the struggles and oppression they kind of had. It's, it's true. And I think, 
you know, I think this is where the TV series can improve on it because I think that those things um, are important to like include, but also like, what about people who are like intersex or people with like different chromosomal, you know, variations and, you know, if it's anyone who has a Y chromosome, then it's literally anyone who has a Y chromosome. Right. Um, so that means it's even more than just men who, you know, perish. Oh, yeah. XXY and all of the other like, I mean, it's that's going to be interesting. And they seem to be addressing it. And it, again, it's a big improvement. And I'm super excited. It, it's good signs for the series, even though we haven't been able to see it yet. It definitely bodes well for the consideration. And then everyone top to bottom. I mean, I think the director, the producer, the lead writer are all women. Um, and that's because, I mean, it's, you know, that's 99% of the characters in the world, you know. I think I read a uh, uh, producer, Nina Jacobson, said that the team was excited to blow up the binary. I think that's going to really raise some excitement amongst the uh, the critics of the series. Yep. And you can't kind of ignore that. The premise of the series is gendered. To like, So you have to have that nuance if you're going to explore that issue, especially now. And that's a good thing. Again, I think that's a... I think that's positive pressure. People like complaining about cancel culture and all that, but this is... I think it's a good thing that they are focusing on this and bringing. I do too. Another, another thing. um, So Grim, you mentioned this and I I wanted just to explore this a little more. Um, The comic, I think did a pretty good job at sort of showing that even though like, yes, um, all of like everyone with the Y chromosome, including like cisgender men died, but that didn't like suddenly that didn't like, that doesn't stop war necessarily that didn't stop racism that didn't stop like you know transgender people being like exploited and like harmed you know it it, there are still you know capitalism is still a thing like these are you know that doesn't just go away you know these are still systemic issues um it's not as simple as like kill all cisgender men right yeah you'll hear people unironically like posting on twitter just kill all men kill them all and And i get it i mean i get it (laughs) (laughs) i hear them say the same thing about white women and honestly preach but (laughs) it's it's good thing that they didn't make um some sort of utopia occur as soon as all the men perished horribly yeah i I mean good thing if 50 of people being gone is dystopia inherently no matter who it is like that is that's a level of disruption that definitely is going to change the world in so many different ways there's no way around it and they're all going to be negative for the most part just because it's you know even people so much death yeah exactly although i do understand it i was in a uh twitter spaces last night where there were some very upsetting stories about things that men had done. So. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed that. This is the, the uh, Red Scare one, right? Yeah, yeah. That was one of the titles. It kept changing over time. How did that go? <laughs> what did I miss? It was fun. It was just all about all the terrible things that men do at like uh, strip clubs, as well as just in general, like personal experiences. Oh, yeah. And then you, you have no choice but to sit there and be like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so for, uh, on behalf of my gender. <laughs> I'm just here to say for all men everywhere, um, really sorry. See, that's the thing. York gets to really say that, you know? He's no, he like, does. I am the last cisgendered man, and I will be speaking for them as their sole representative. <laughs> Which I'm is sorry. <laughs> but it, I think the interesting thing about York and, and 
because he didn't ask for that. And so there is no. that like arc with him where he is uh, to be like blunt suicidal um, because he didn't want this. He, you know, he, he's depressed. He's upset. He's got survivor's guilt um, because like literally all his friends and family died. And, you know, like there's, there's like scenes in the comic where um, like one of the, one of the scenes he goes to try to look to see if his friend's still alive and his friends in his apartment being eaten by his cats you know, it's it's horrific and it's played that way just to sort of show like the trauma of this. You know, it wasn't just like, cool, I'm the last guy. Hell yeah. Let me let me at all these women. More like, pussy for me. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not like that. huh? No, not at all. <laughs> it reminds me of the thing in World War Two. Um, and I, I try to remember where I read this, but after World War Two was over, basically when they're radioing in to every comms guy and being like, OK, we officially won. Your orders are to not shoot anyone unless they're shooting at you. Yeah, yeah. No, like, if you see a Nazi, you just leave them there. Uh, we're going to make sure we put them into our best uh, you know, space programs. Um, just don't let the Ruskies get them first. Um, but the moment the war was over, there was something like 600 suicides the next day. It was just like all the guys who are like, well, I don't have a choice to kill myself now because that is irresponsible. But yeah. now that we're done, time to check out, you know, leaving the card on the counter. And that mentality York definitely has. Like, you definitely get the feeling that if there were, like, 50 uh, uh, people with Y chromosomes left, he would he would probably kill himself. The only reason he's not is because he doesn't want to be responsible for the inability to reproduce whatever is in him that allows him to exist after this plague. Oh, in the very beginning, like the the very beginning of the series, as people around the world are dying, Yorick is in the process of uh, asking his girlfriend to marry him. And I don't know if I remember, did she say yes? Did they even get to that part of the call? She gets cut off. Yeah, she gets cut off. That's like right when... uh... Uh, what? No, it's not right when it happens because it happens and he's he's hanging upside down, right? Yeah. He, I think, um, the way that the comic, I just read it, so I, what basically happens is he gets out of the jacket and he go, he gets, stands up and grabs the ring because he's holding it as he goes to propose to her. Um, yeah. But the way it plays out, she wants to say something to him and he cuts her off and says, "No, no, no let me go first. And because she was gonna break up with him, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah, that's definitely the. Is that a spoiler? It's yeah. I mean, technically, <laughs> it, it is. I mean, it reads that way though. So you like, <laughs> but sorry. yeah, it's heavily implied that that's what she was going to do. Um, and especially in retrospect, when you look, you're like, well, she's like on the other side of the world. Yorick is still trying to find a job. He's kind of like he's aimless. kind of like a fail son, like we said earlier. He's got this vibe. It seems to me. I don't know how to describe this. Like a lovable scamp type character, like Jim from The Office. You know what I mean? Where he's like, "I'm just a guy," you know, and um, he's shiftless. He's doing his magic on the street so he can pay his rent. Um, he's got this go-getter sister who he's always comparing himself to. He just fully embodies the goofy fail son thing. Is that a recurring theme, or does he become more? of a man so to speak throughout the series yeah i he's i'll say this like yeah he starts out very naive and goofy um and like mean i would add mean he's kind of mean he is 
and he's self-righteous and you know and the thing is this the book makes this very clear that it's like yeah this guy's really immature he's mean he's self-righteous and um the book does a pretty good job at like painting this arc where he actually by the end of the story he is like a he does become like a very mature um and grounded person um but yeah there's like a long road to get to that point yeah now the meanness is more of like a defense mechanism right though because he's like one of the sensitive guys so he's mean as a way to like push people off to defend his his shell that's the vibe i'm getting yeah from York. i i get that vibe i think the self-righteousness that mike was talking about was a big part of it he is very judgmental in the start um and judgmental of everything and everyone which is again ironic because he's a street performer in brooklyn um he's like the people <laughs> the podcasters look down on he so you know. he would have a magic podcast by the way he the story would absolutely today. like it would be like who done it but it like spelled like houdini and it would be a uh true crime magic podcast the funny thing is sure. there's like dialogue where a character um so one of the other characters in the story who is like with yorick is agent 355 and she's like a badass Copa Rain, like part of the secret society. Um, but she gets tasked to like basically accompany Yorick to protect him, which she doesn't want to do and he doesn't want, but they, you know, get put together. But there's dialogue between them where like she'll say something about his magic and he'll like correct her. They'll be like, well, you know, actually Houdini wasn't all that, but his brother was great. You know, just things like that. <laughs> he has big illusions, Michael. Tricks are something a whore does for money. <laughs> he uh there's a scene where uh, um york basically gets knocked unconscious and then a a, um, a woman named sonia finds him and basically just like gets him like to safety and she's looking through his wallet to figure out who he is and he has like an international like magician membership <laughs> card and she's like it's like played it for laughs but she's like oh are you like david blaine he's like I am nothing like David Blaine. That guy is a poser, basically. <laughs> He's like, I would never be a Leninist. I am full ML. <laughs> uh, he's like recording a podcast and his like monkeys like screaming in the background. Lenin wasn't that great, but his brother? He was cool. Tommy Lennon. Yeah, Tommy Lennon was the really cool guy. Oh, you've never heard of him before? You should read more. <laughs> yeah, I like how pompous he is about everything and how he's like, he does a lot of uh, mansplaining, which again, his sister like calls out in the best way where she's like, you literally don't know what, what you're saying means. You don't know what it's a reference to. Oh, and they're like pointing guns at each other at that moment too. Oh, right? that's right. That's right. <laughs> it's a funny moment um, because it's like very serious. So you're like, oh my God, like they could kill each other. Um but they're having that conversation and it's almost because we should also say like hero gets brainwashed. She gets basically indoctrinated by these Amazon women um, because she's hungry and she's scared. Um, And so, you know, she was basically tasked to go hunt down the last man and then figures out it's Yorick. So it's like this, this, it comes to a head here in this moment. Yeah. And the Amazons are great. The whole uh, it's it's the cult is is well in the the comic series. It's run by a chess master who is like her whole thing. I think she might be Russian, and she's like I was the actual like chess master, and some guy was like following my moves because 
I wasn't allowed to be in the limelight or something like that. I, ve- I very much remember like she's basically the greatest chess player in the world, but she has to be hidden and like uh, obscured. And that's yeah, like, and there's like, the genesis of everything for her. Yeah, there's wow. like a reference to like Bobby Fisher, like her beating Bobby Fisher when she was like young. Right. Oh yeah. They and they had a competition to see which one of them is more anti-Semitic. <laughs> <laughs> she won. Yeah. <laughs> she won. <laughs> Speaking of um this character um alter of the IDF is one of the first characters that we're introduced to an Israeli soldier um whose parents refused to speak her own name so that death could not chase her down the way that it did her her siblings normal um normal right love that um but where does she factor into the story she is working on behalf of the israeli government basically to quote unquote win the uh the genetic race to ensure everyone who exists from that point on is uh, officially jewish by genetics So she is like extremely problematic. Um, It's also (laughs) ironic because Vertigo's other big property around this time was like extremely pro Israel to the point that when I got to the Israeli portion in it, I was like, Oh, why that was Uh fables. (laughs) Um, And, but it's interesting because again, I I was a very, um, you know, everyone's got their journey on what they've learned. But for me, the the uh, pro-Palestinian rights was a very early thing because of PSL and their anti-war work during uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom and Operation Enduring Freedom, all the protests. So I got in early and it was one of those things I just could not say whenever I worked a campaign. It was like, you just you just don't say anything about and Israel has never done anything bad. They, yep. you know. It just it it was it was forbidden. It was forbidden. People would look at you or you're crazy if you even like kind of referenced it. So seeing it in print, even in like 20, uh, 2013 or twenty twelve when I read it, um, was so crazy to me. I was like, I cannot imagine. Like this is this is crazy. I've never seen a narrative where they would ever even allow the IDF to be the bad guys, even in like a a rogue agent kind of way, you know. It's it's interesting too because like the character Alter is asked about her motivation. Um and there's like two reasons why she's doing it. There's like sort of like the obvious, like, oh, I can't let any other nation like rebuild their army, you know. Israel has to be the superpower. But there's also another reason why she's doing this. There's like a personal motivation um that we learn later. And it's Spoilers. it's the most like brainworm one, but it totally aligns with her character and what her character has existed through and what she's like thought of the world. I hate to get all like conspiracy theoristy here, but you got to wonder if the Israel conflict maybe had something to do with the development hell that this project fell into over the last two decades. Now there were like so many iterations of this. They had Shia LaBeouf who was going to headline a movie. Um, and then they had Zachary Levi in another project and everything just stalled and failed and died. And that was all you heard about it. I, I I'm glad think, it wasn't either of those two for the record. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I don't, I, so I will say like one of the problems that the comic faced was that um, the studios wanted to turn into like just one movie 
Um, they didn't want to turn into a TV show because that's just not what they weren't doing at the time. Um, because it's something that, yeah, there's stuff like the the Israel thing. There's other things in there that it's going to attract attention and, and make some controversy. Um, but also it requires a bit of a budget to pull off. So they wanted to do one movie and it just, I read one of those scripts that um, actually Brian K. Vaughn wrote. Um, you can find it pretty easily if you just Google it. Um, anyone could just find it now. It's been uploaded. Oh. And, um, it's interesting from a perspective of, because Brian wrote it, it's the creator like trying to adapt his own material. Uh, that said, it's one movie and he had to make a lot of concessions. And I, 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 I love Brian K. Vaughn's work, but I really don't like the script. Um, there's a lot of reasons why, but uh, really it just comes down to those stories about her journey and it kind of gets boiled down to like a very small, like two hour thing that just doesn't feel appropriate. Yeah, he was really trying to make it work within the confines of what they were asking of him. But I think he eventually said in an interview later, like, there's no way you can put his his journey into one movie. There's no way. Yeah, it's too long. It's too big of an arc because he goes from an extremely immature, you know, kind of reactionary almost, even though he's not politically. Uh, you know, I mean, he's, he's politically a Democrat because of, you know, mommy Elizabeth Warren, but he's definitely got like a lot of, of machismo issues. And the best part about it is all of his macho issues are both severe and like pretty baseline for, <laughs> for a modern white cishet American man. Like <laughs> they're more common than they aren't, especially like in, in a heartland I'm here in Milwaukee. And I mean, you can find guys with vaguely, um, vaguely shitty ideas everywhere because that's what they're going to see more than anything that would not be. It's everywhere. It's very pervasive and it gets highlighted just because he's the only guy left, you know, like he's the only cishet white man left and that's all going to get emphasized. But how would you demonstrate the, the irrationality of that without him starting from that place? I think that's a great choice creatively to have him start from, from where he's at. It's funny to me because people always uh, i saw people saying like oh this could have you know they couldn't have never made the original uh comic because of you know it wasn't woke enough or whatever but the real answer to me was they couldn't make the original comic because so many people want the protagonist to be a representative of them and that's not what this kind of narrative is uh you know, it's if, if he you feel he's a representative of you, you're not feeling good about that fact. I'll put it that way. Yes. I just saw this great tweet and I retweeted the other day saying Twitter media criticism is just does this art exist at the exact intersection of my very specific politics and life experiences? And is it composed to fit my preferred aesthetic standards? No. <laughs> then it's the worst fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but it was just too true for me not to retweet that because that's that's the lens that people see things through. Is this tailor-made for me? No. Then get it out of my face. It's awful. I'm going to I'm gonna print that out and just say, like, I'm going to you know tap that whenever we... Because I have a feeling that's going to be brought up a lot throughout our time on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me tap the sign. You should put it on the... Uh... Uh, you should put it on the top of the EMT car so that they're looking at it while they're laying in the gurney. <laughs> Just to confuse them. Yes. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't know. I like, 
I like that and I like that journey and it's um it's nice to see character development um and I people are are now pretty comfortable with villainous characters as protagonists but the idea of a character building from just bad to good is you know that is kind of the the nuance that I feel like there's a lot of trouble with now because it's see even having a character that has those ideas is seen as a tacit endorsement right. of those ideas. I mean, these people exist. They are here. And there's no way to teach them anything different without literally meeting them where they're at, you know? Yeah. And I think it's important. They change and move because of both their motivations and the people around them. We're social creatures. We operate we live in a society, if you will. You know, we're living in a society. <laughs> and the pressures that we have in our social structures matter, you know, and that's, they should be addressed. Even, you know, I do like that they call him York, by the way, because it just, it tells you right off the bat, this is going to be a little pretentious. Okay. Like. He's going to be insufferable. Yeah. But that makes it all the more pleasant when shitty things happen to him. There's, yeah. there, there's a really great scene. Um, so the, there's a main trio Throughout this journey, uh, there's Yorick, there's Agent 355, and then there's Allison Mann, who's a doctor. Um, and her task is to basically help figure out why is Yorick immune and can we clone him or just figure out a way to make um, make sure this isn't the last generation yeah. of, of humanity. But um, there's like a scene where Yorick basically, he's being self-righteous and he basically exposes himself like he takes off his mask and says like, hey, I'm a dude. And he's yelling at these Amazon women. Um, and, you know, he basically like tries to goad them. So they kick his ass because he has a death <laughs> wish. And um, Agent 355 basically watches this go on for 10 minutes before she comes up and like kicks their asses and scares them away. <laughs> and she tells him like straight up like, yeah, you're being a baby. Like stop being an asshole. Like, I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> Man, I haven't even gotten that far, and already I know she's right. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Yorick is just alone saying, dude rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I rock, right? Ampersand. Singular. <laughs> Singular. Oh, I suppose Ampersand is a dude, too. So he, were he all is. the male animals died, too? Mammals. Yes. Mammals. All, okay. Yes. Yeah. So chickens are, are still there, but... You know, pigs, cows, anything. Uh, the the meat industry does not do well. Oh, brutal. There's yeah. there's a part where they're on a train and they even like bring this up because they have like animals in their cart because they basically like barter to get on this train. So they get put into like the car with all the animals and they're all like female animals. So yeah, they talk about how like meat's very limited now and people of course are starving in general, but you know, that's one of the contributing reasons. Yeah, yeah, dairy is just gone. Well, this might be a bit of a thinker, but here's a question for you guys. If you had to choose one uh, book, one scene, one arc that is your favorite of the series, what would it be and why? Oh, I might take that first. Do it. Get it. Okay, so I actually immediately knew my answer too. <laughs> yes, love it. So this is, I mean, spoilers for everybody, but we've already said that. Um, in the final issue, uh, 
um, we basically get to see Yorick as an old man. And I, it would take a lot to explain his position, but basically he had tried to kill himself and he gets put in a room with a, with a straitjacket on by his daughter. Um, and they basically pretended that he had died. So that way uh, there's still like factions of the Amazon women around. So they want, they do that. They fake his death. So that way the uh, they stop basically looking for him. So anyway, he's in a room full of clones of Ampersand, his monkey, you know, friend. And a clone of Yorick is visiting. So they actually send the clone of Yorick into the room because they think that uh, his daughter thinks that'll like cheer him up. <laughs> and I won't say exactly what happens, but it's just a really incredible final issue. I love the whole sequence because it's sort of um, Yorick basically kind of flashes around and it sort of shows you an epilogue of what happened to all the characters and kind of gives you a little bit more closure. And there's a really great moment where like the clone of Yorick basically says, so is this my life? Like, I'm just going to be like really bummed out and sad and like heartbroken. And Yorick basically ends the series by saying like, no, um, you know, first you get to grow up and be a kid, you know, and play with like toys and, you know, cowboys and soldiers. And then you're going to go get your heart broken, but you're going to be okay. Um, there's, it's kind of like meant to be a bit optimistic, even though there is a lot of sadness. Um, and it does end on a, you know, Yorick does escape, which I really like. He, it's basically, he tricks the clone and gets away. Right. And, um, he is literally an escape artist. Yeah, no, he get <laughs> it ends, it ends like very uh, poetically, I think, um, because it shows basically society. It shows like women and there's some men, but like, it's still a lot of women. Um, but it also ends with like the straight jacket kind of just floating in the air in a shape of a Y. And uh, and that's the end in shot. Alas, poor Yorick. I, that's does literally actually, the title. It ends with alas. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, my favorite. Which is another Hamlet re- uh, reference there. Yep. Sorry, tell me your favorite now, Grim. Let's hear it. My favorite is there's a plot line. Um, and it's probably the one where Yorick grows the most. And it's basically, it's kind of there almost to make, give him a baseline of growth. And it's the the one where it comes to the Amazon um, cult kind of comes to a head with uh, he York discovers like a perfect like pastoral community where everyone's working together and good. And he uh, begins to judge it later, um, uh, basically because of the the past of all the women who were there. Um, And he he gets really gross about it, basically. And um, they turn out being like the most humane and human people in the entire series. And he has trouble reconciling that because he definitely has grown up. So, uh, so privileged and the idea that uh, anyone, ironically, the idea that anyone can grow and become better is completely anathema to his mindset, even though that's exactly what he does during the arc. Huh? It's good. <laughs> what I, I'm so excited. What I love about that, I love that too. That's a great choice, Grim. What I love about that moment, um, we've talked about this. Like he does have these moments where he starts to mansplain, and then a woman tells him to shut up, basically. <laughs> and it's good. Like there was a moment, like he basically learns. Like there's these moments that I think help him grow, um, and it's done very well. It, and it's always earned, and I kind of appreciate that. 
um, even when people say shut up, they're not just telling him like, they're not sh- saying shut up, you know, cishet white guy. They're, they're literally like, shut up. You know, have you thought about X, Y, or Z? Have you thought about like, okay, well, what's the incentive here? Like literally just walking him through a basic thought process to get past his preconceptions and, you know, really focus on, um, on why he thinks the way he thinks. And, uh, uh, that gets through to him and it even embarrasses him most because even when he grows, he's like, his, his pride is still wounded because he had to grow because it's an admission. He had a failure or a Mm -hmm. weakness. And that's kind of fun too, because even as he's growing, he's getting his, like his pride hurt and he's got a lot of macho and pride issues. Um, I mean, part of the thing that interested me, the, the whole reason someone told me to read it. And when they told me the premise, everything with the Y chromosome dies. Oh my God. So it's just a guy with like a harem of like women. And it's like, he's like, like, that just doesn't sound fun. That just, yeah. that sounds like pornography. And <laughs> it sounds like an entire <laughs> subset of like anime. Um, yeah. Right. I don't even know like how big that subset is, but like, I know the Tenchi Muyo kind of stuff like that's. Yeah. Oh yes. yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. There's a million magic boy surrounded by magic women who can turn into dragons and may or may not be children. It's a right. big thing. I think Yorick in like, I mean, we're talking like 1500 pages of comics. I think he gets laid twice. I think total. Um, and they're yes. both not like the most fun. <laughs> like they're both like incredibly like, like almost like world war two. We have five minutes kind of thing. Like, Oh yeah, <laughs> they're definitely not in great conditions. Yeah, there's and there's parts. It's interesting because like the book does show like sort of this gray area where like he may like make out with somebody and then stop, or like there's sort of this tension where he could do it but he doesn't do it. Um, but then there's like one time where he goes all the way and does it. Um, and then uh, I, I won't spoil that. There it does happen again, but yeah, it's always it's not very sexy. It's not, no. it's not what the book is going for at all. It's extremely unsexy. Good. And it's also, he yeah. thinks of like the implications too, which is like, he, cause he's a, you know, he's a nerd. He's like, okay, well what if, you know, I get her pregnant and the child has a Y chromosome. What's happening then? Am I just like the father of a, a dead baby? Like that doesn't sound fun. <sighs> yeah. Like the, a lot of pressure. Exactly. It's a lot of pressure on a guy. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure on anyone. I think <laughs> that's and that's something that the series I think grapples with really well. Is like here is a guy who's basically a boy, um, even though he's technically an adult, and he basically becomes a man in a world full of women. Uh, just to basically be really reductive, but just to kind of right, you know, put it in a, a nutshell. Um, and it's it's really fascinating because. Um, you could tell that Brian K. Vaughn grew up as he did it too. Like he was in his early twenties, I think, when you started the series, and so he grew with Yorick. And you know, it's it's also I wanted to also bring this up. Um, it's a book that actually got a lot of um, women and men to read comics for the first time. Yes, um, it, it got like a lot of men and women to step foot in comic book stores who had never done so before, who had never read a comic before. So I think that's really awesome um, because I love comics and I want more people to read them, you know, selfishly. 
this is honestly going to be my my first time getting into a comic series. I'm excited. I've like dabbled in a couple graphic novels, but honestly, I've always been an outsider. And it's intimidating because the people who love comics love comics and they live for comics and it's hard to be a newcomer with people like that. Do you know what I mean? Right. I mean, I, I try to downplay how much I love comics in general because like it's that it, there's an intimidation level for me as someone who is very capable of saying I love comics and I, all the, all the, the rivers flowing in the right direction for me to do it easily. And even I don't want to do it because then it becomes a whole, I mean, then there's, there's gatekeepers and that's, if there's gatekeepers for me, Jesus Christ, like, (laughs) you know, I like literally, like I mentioned buying carnage, the first comic with carnage with, with uh, Cassius Cassidy. And I literally like have that memory of all, this is the coolest thing I've ever read, like as a kid. So there's also an ugly stereotype of what comic book enjoyers are like, right? Uh, most notably the the comic book guy from the Simpsons. Does he have an actual name, or is he just like the comic? Book I thought guy? his name was literally comic book guy. So yeah, yeah. I don't know and if that's he. It. Yeah, I. I mean, that's that's who he um, is. Actually, I... my name is Theo. <laughs> <laughs> he totally is a Theo. I'm a Theo doer. Um, I. I mean. To kind of, you know, explore that stereotype, I will say, like, one of the first times I walked into a comic book store was I was, like, a, I was a preteen. I walked in because I just saw Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. And I wanted to, like, I had, prior to that point, I'd only, like, picked up comics at, like, flea markets and stuff because I didn't have a lot of money. And I walked in and they were watching a bootleg version of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Yeah. And it was the scene, it was the scene where... uh Green Goblin pretends to be an old woman in the like the burning building to get Spidey <laughs> yeah. to like go to go and so he could like kill him in the building. And I will never forget these like these grown men who were like in their forties and fifties who were just like, you know, this is stupid. Uh his Spidey <laughs> sense would have warned him and he would have never went to the building. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Are you what? Like yeah, I, I'm just gonna get my comics and leave. Focus on. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. No, it's it's, it's a great scene. <laughs> yeah. It is. I'm the I I it's it's fine. Everyone understands what's happening there. Jesus Christ. That's so it's, interesting to me. Yeah. For me, I had so my context is we always lived in the middle of nowhere, like an hour or two from anything real. Like and by real I mean like grocery stores, bookstores, yeah, yeah. So civilization. civilization. Hospitals. Hospitals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, airlifted is uh, very much a thing that happened where I was living. Yes. As like a standard. <laughs> Um, and I, I moved all the time. And so, you know, you're moving place, you move every year. Uh, we were moving basically about every year when I was a kid. And, uh, so maybe once a month, once every other month, we would, you know, take a trip to the big city and the big city, like you get to watch a movie and either go to the, and and maybe go to the grocery store because the drive is so long, it's a whole day. So you have to just kind of spend it wisely. And I would save all my money and I would just buy books and comic books, depending on what the week was. So I got really into comics, just like buying like stacks of like comics. And I would like hustle as a little kid, you know, uh, uh, just cleaning everything. I could. Like I would have to walk, you know, a half mile to the neighbor's house and then like. <laughs> mowing those lawns, raking those lawns. Uh, not usually mowing at that time because like most it, it was, you know, um, but it, it was just whatever side jobs they had. I was taking. We talking farm work? You guys are really rural. 
Yeah. Um, but it was also just stupid shit, like, you know, uh, move stack A to stack B kind of thing, too. Just general labor. But uh, I was, and I was, I was always st- hustling. <laughs> what? I was picturing you milking a cow. I don't know why. That's yeah. Just, yeah. Like, my I, mind. I helped uh, deliver a cow. Oh, my That's goodness. Dope. Wow. I ate That's that dope. cow several years later. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's the cycle of life on a farm, though, you know? You love them, you eat them. No, we had... uh, I, like, had to have feral cats explained to me and stuff, too. Like, I did not understand the concept of feral cats when you're raising cattle and stuff. So, you know, stuff like that. So It's serious business. Yeah, that's why when I, like, moved eventually to, like, the D.C. metro area, um, I was ecstatic. I'm like, oh, I can walk to things now. I'm not dependent on like a, you know, hour long drive or a two hour long drive somewhere. Okay. And a safe vehicle that can get me to and fro. Oh, I can't even have a car here. That would make no sense. This is great. You know, it was fantastic. Beautiful. It was so good. Um, and it was like just the ability to walk to a bookstore or get to a book. And I took buses too. It wasn't like, it's like super dense downtown DC. We're still talking like suburbia, but yeah, <laughs> but like if you can walk, you know, two or three miles to a blockbuster. That's a big ass deal. That's huge. Yeah. So God. yeah, that definitely, I was like, okay, I'm a city boy. I am sold. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And my family was very, very rural. I came from uh, Escanaba, Michigan, which oh, wow. nobody knows where that is. It's a very, very tiny spot and um, nobody stays there because there's nothing there. And um just Milwaukee was like, whoo, big city to me. So it's, it's good. I'm a city kid. What about you, Mike? Are you a city guy? Are you a country dude? I was born in Hollywood, Florida. Um, I always like to say, <laughs> I, I always like to say I was born in Hollywood and they're like, ooh, and I'm like, Florida. And they're like, oh. <laughs> um, we moved to a more rural part of Florida at one point, And then I, I've since relocated to Orlando, Florida. Um, I don't know why, because I don't like tourists, but you know. It's okay. Oh, that has to be tourist <laughs> hell. That has to be awful. It's I, there's yeah yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's just like the, I'm just imagining the, living in Orlando. <laughs> you know it's it's interesting. Um, we could talk a lot about that, but uh, the drivers are either like Floridians who are just mad because they have to deal with like the tourists or the tourists who have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's great. There's car accidents everywhere. Oh, and you see the end of all these Florida man stories because of your work. So that's got to be ugh. sorry. Yeah, no, I meet. I've met a lot of Florida men and women um, <laughs> uh, who make headlines. Yeah, no, you you see them a lot. They uh, you spend a lot of time with them. <laughs> that would be a fun comic book. Why the last Florida man? Yes. <laughs> He's just got to go to the hospital because uh, he uh, he got his foot stuck in a gator. But yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't want to kill the gator. He has to make sure it, it survives. A York is a, a New York kid, right? When we, when we meet him, he's literally in his little apartment in New York City escaping a straitjacket. Do they go into his background at all? I think he's literally in Brooklyn. I think yeah. he's in Brooklyn and I think the way, so I might've been incorrect about Brian K. Vaughn, like where he, I think he's from Ohio originally. He's, okay. he's from somewhere in the Midwest and he moved to New York. And I think York has a similar backstory, if I'm not mistaken. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. 
I love that especially because there are a lot of like um, very backwards Midwestern dudes who uh, moved to the city to try and get a better life and end up having to change most of what they believe about the world. And I think that's good. It's definitely interesting. And it's, it's like, I mean, it, it adds value to have that different exposure. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I like, for example, me moving to Texas, I think was ultimately in that positive, even though Texas has the worst politics. Um, the way a lot of people operate differently is, is interesting and has given me more insight on that front. And I don't think that's, I I think travel is typically a good thing. You travel and you learn while you're on the journey as opposed to getting complacent. And that's where, um, that's where why the last man I think is like really great because that's basically what happens to York. He goes around the whole world, basically like he hits all these different places and meets all these different people. And he, his whole world changes um, his whole worldview changes in a good way. Um, I wanted to ask everyone, so has everyone seen the trailer, or the, I guess there's two trailers now for the FX series, which premieres pretty soon, September yeah. 13th? I have. I know I've seen one of them. I'm not sure if I've seen both. What do you think? Um, you know, I've followed this development for a long time, and I was I was a dork and would like look on... There was like a Twitter account that would post like set photos, like paparazzi set photos. So, um, and I've, I've, yeah, I've been just looking. The, the showrunner's name is Eliza Clark. So I've been following her on Instagram, just kind of looking at behind the scenes photos. Um, but the trailer looks really good. I'm, I am cautiously optimistic. Me too. That's awesome. I'm excited. And it's also going to be, it's going to be great for this upcoming season because I got this and then I got American Crime Story. With uh, with uh, the Lewinsky affair, hell yeah! Oh man, you're gonna be eating. <laughs> yep, it's good times for me. I've had like a drought for over a year of just nothing, nothing good at all. I'm so excited to have this. This is gonna be a, a great way for me to burn my free time because <laughs> I am a huge football widow. My entire family just like disappears <laughs> into football land during the uh, season. So this way I can keep myself preoccupied and I can follow along with you guys as you have your journey. That's going to be exciting. Yep. And uh, it's going to be fun and we're going to keep doing this. We'll do a, a drop on each episode after it uh, airs. Um, we'll go over the episode and everything. We won't have, nearly as many spoilers we're going to be very careful about spoilers for the rest of it Um, but for this episode zero we just wanted to provide context for everyone and how we're going into it and what kind of mindset we're coming with i think the showrunners and everyone involved just like jackie said like with fx it's been a labor of love they didn't rush this out it's been in development for a long time and they didn't cancel it either like even when there was some some turmoil in production. They like went back to the drawing board and hired new people and, you know, just pivoted and just, and they got it done. I mean, they filmed this show in a pandemic um, during the pandemic following safety protocols and everything. And they, I think they wrapped over the summer. So they're still, I think, finishing the episodes up. Um, But it's, it's something that I think uh, if it turns, if there's flaws, it's not, there's no uh, malice there. They're really trying to make something great. Yeah, it's it's exciting. It's nice when people try. <laughs> it's nice when it doesn't feel like it came out of a lab. Yes. When it doesn't feel like it's just a remix of something that did well 20 years ago or despite the fact it kind of is, which is 
you know, at its yeah. core. <laughs> Fair points. That's it's, true. It is true. I mean, it is an adaptation. It is like based on a like a pre-existent thing. Um, but I think you know, I I think there's as we said, there's an opportunity to improve the material to kind of bring it to our modern times. And if it can do what it did for people as a comic, then I think it, there's a good like net gain to be had by adapting it. Even though I know adaptations can be very tricky and can turn out terrible. Absolutely. I'm particularly excited to see um, some trans mask characters being um, portrayed because um, we just don't hear a lot of it. You know, most uh, um, trans people who we interact with will be uh, trans femme, you know, um, and I think that's what most people think of. So it'll be good to have some trans mask or queer characters to interact with um, and just to see how they handle the idea of a post-plague world where gender itself becomes irrelevant. That's exciting. Yeah. One of one of the uh, oh, I'm sorry, Grim. No, I, I was I was saying it was it is exciting. Yeah, I was just going to uh, build off of that and say that one of the actors who's playing a transgender man, who is a transgender man, um, is Elliot Fletcher, I believe is his name. And he said basically what you said, Jackie, like he was really intrigued by the idea of like, oh, this is a world where gender suddenly doesn't matter. And he was he's a new character that they added just for the show. Um, his name is Sam, I believe. Um, but I'm very excited just to see that, you know, he. Um, it sounds, he sounds really like an interesting character and the actor seems to have a really interesting mindset and, um, they're approaching this from like a, um, a place of good faith. You know, it's not, they're not doing this in bad faith. It's not like going to be all turf, um, turf country here, you know, it's so I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. And I kind of pointed this out too, cause it's very, we're all on Twitter way too much. Every single person mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, that, that comes with what it comes with. But the fact this is going to be such a big um, production and they're putting so much marketing budget into it. I mean, there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on it. And um, that to me is important, especially on the trans front, um, to have something that's nuanced and that's going to uh, examine the issue um, and, and the way people get treated. Um that's a big deal. Someone it's the whole James Corden thing. People were like, literally who watches James Corden? And the, I was like, the answer is more people than every podcast you listen to. Mm-hmm. Like that's millions of people know who James Corden is. There's a reason he's in every movie nowadays. You just have to make it. Apparently if you use a SAG movie, uh, he has to be used for some reason. I don't understand uh, what photos he has of who doing what, but uh, <laughs> he's definitely found a way to work that out. So Yeah. That's where I'm at. I think the last, um, the last piece of media, at least that I encountered, that I, uh, that's sort of related. Uh, it's in the same genre as The Last of Us Part Two. Um, there's a character who's transgender. It's a transgender male. Uh, they're a transgender male, and the actor's a transgender male. Um, and uh, it's handled very well, I think. I mean, there is some criticisms from the community that I think, of course, are valid. But I thought it was a fairly nuanced. Um, portrayal of it um of of the of that world so and especially in a post-apocalyptic world is that the one who's like the dad figure ish and then is that the main guy uh no the character's name is lev Lev. he uh he basically he his faction of, of people 
have, are very like rigid in what they believe. And so in that world, in that faction, they have very strict views. Like only men are allowed to shave their heads and women have to like keep their hair and braid it. Well, Lev shaves his head and says, no, I'm Lev, you know, I'm, I'm a man. And so his group say like, we're going to kill you. So he has to run um, for his life basically. And his sister defects with him to protect him. And so they cross paths with another character and become like their own family in a way. Interesting. There was a, there was an outcry over that character. They were, uh, some people were very unhappy with that. And like you said, their, their concerns are all, all valid. You know, it's gotta be a hard time in particular for, um, trans people to be perceived in any way because it is such a a controversial subject for people who don't have any fucking business having an opinion about it yeah it's gotta be rough criticism's always good um i'm a big fan of uh someone else said it and i don't know remember who i'm stealing from but they said criticism not condemnation um and i think that's always a good mindset is to be open to criticism to uh criticize things but also to like try and look for the good too instead of just you know don't be cinema sins basically right i mean i i have friends who you know and i've had to learn too um being like a cisgender man like i've i have friends who are transgender both men and women and um you know i've just i just try to listen you know i try to listen and be open to any criticisms because i'm gonna make mistakes um but just trying to keep a open mind and you know keep your intentions good and um but you know some people just they see they you know they they see something and they immediately want to either condemn or you know the flip side of that is someone sees something that they recognize as progressive and they lose their minds about it because they get upset because they feel like it's like an agenda yes and we talked briefly before this episode about how sometimes the projects that are are created with the best intentions are judged the harshest right. by people looking to see their exact vision and and it doesn't turn out that way it's never going to turn out that way yeah there is definitely a like getting punished for even though you tried kind of thing and that's always kind of you know it's frustrating but i mean what else can you expect from a community who is so largely misunderstood and um so largely ignored for so long i mean back when this comic was being created i don't think most people had the language to define feelings of gender dysmorphia even if it existed within them you know what i mean back in 2002 we weren't using this language yeah that's kind of another thing too like the um yorick is inherently kind of the the protagonist but uh three uh three five five is basically the co-protagonist with him and uh her her voice is basically the only one that really matters when decisions are being made um like the best york can basically do is try and escape her you know but uh to have someone to have a dynamic where it's it the the narrative is definitely way more sympathetic with her and what she is doing um than with him in 2002 like, are you kidding me? Like, remember the guy who was like, oh, if it's a legitimate rape, the body has a way of shutting that down. That was 10 years after this. That was 10 years later. That was a decade later. So think about God, like- that is stomach turning to think about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, we live in this country. <laughs> 
it's it's you know something to note <laughs> i think about um 355's character that i really like um so the the book does a pretty i think does a pretty good job because she's a person of color um for those who don't know um and she's she's a really great character but i think um the book does address like hey just because all the men are gone um there's still racist women you know like 355 has to be she has to be mindful of that. Yorick doesn't have to worry about that because he's a white dude. Right. It, there's an interesting dynamic too where the um because so much of the the gender issue is off the table, I mean there's still there's still uh trans uh men out there, but they're not uh not enough numbers to really matter factionally in terms of decisions being made. Everything is still run all by white women. I mean, you either join the cult run by a white chess master or, you know, you are the Democratic Party now controls the government because there were only three Republican women who were in Congress at the time. And meanwhile, there's like 20, uh, 20 uh, Democratic women. Um, by the way, one of the greatest plot points ever, and it's like a very mid-aughts one, is that the uh, Republican women are convinced the plague was started by Democrats in order to seize control of the government. And I don't know about you, but I have a lot of trouble imagining uh, the Republican Party uh, trying to say someone engineered a plague in order to hurt their interests. That is... They would never. That's ridiculous. Yes. <sighs> just crazy there's another where the republican women um try to um take their husband's seat right. in congress i cannot wait to get to that part that's going to be so awesome that's going to be a blast and it's it's very interesting too with the power dynamics there uh and because it's the two different mindsets you know the democratic women their mindset is well okay, you try to get into office you try to get in this position and the the more conservative mindset is you know, you and your husband are a unit. You are in a support role of that unit, but you are still an equal in a support role. And, you know, this, they're trying to take advantage of the fact that we have a traditional support role for our unit, as opposed to them, where they just want to, you know, become gay and stop shaving their <laughs> armpits. They killed all our husbands just so they wouldn't have to shave their armpits. The monsters. Typical communists. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So there's a lot to be excited about in the series. It's going to be fun. That was the end of episode zero of Why the Last Podcast, the podcast about why the last man. I hope you had a good time. We sure did. We will be dropping in an episode after each FX episode airs, so please make sure to subscribe to our channel, and we'll uh, make sure you get those future episodes. Follow us on Twitter, and as always, be safe and be happy.